the Great Bear Rainforest. Sacred wisdom sits here. It's a place of magic and mystery, where ancient stories blanket great valleys. Here tides dance with the moon and the sun, sweeping along the central and northern coast of British Columbia. These are the ancestral lands and the current home of more than 20 First Nations who have lived here for millennia. Bear Witness Joined by Bear Viewing Guide and Hereditary Chief Mike Willie of the Kwikwetsutinu Akwakmis Nation, we are here to bear witness to his people's connection with the land and the animals of this region. Kila Kesla Nubuam Ol Seaweed Kelklanlacha Muskumag Jaudeno. Greetings. I am Old Seaweed, and I come from the four tribes of the Kinkum River. Bear witness to the forest and its keepers. This is a land where animals teach humans. Indigenous culture, especially ours, is really based on your surroundings and your connection to your environment. A grizzly bear in, in our culture symbolizes power and especially authority. So I always have a saying, rather than letting the authority be the truth, let the truth be the authority. From the Grizzly Bear Foundation, this is GrizzCast. As we continue to share these stories, please consider supporting GrizzCast with a financial gift by visiting our donation page today. from uh, Mali Kala, and that's the ancestor of this place where we're sitting. Um, that's why they're called Mama Lili Kala. It's a plural for the future gens of Mali Kala. And Chief Sumner thought that that was a good name, you know, to have a short name that uh, represents their, their ancestor. This is a true story about the life and death of a young grizzly bear that walked these lands, Molly. <laughs> Do you um, have a name for grizzly bear in your we language? We call him Gila. Gila, yeah. And um, when you dance the grizzly bear, it's called Nun, and the name changes. None. At the start of the Great Bear Rainforest, wedged between the north end of Vancouver Island and the mainland of British Columbia, lies the province's largest marine park, the Broughton Archipelago. It's a maze of waterways dotted with hundreds of islands and islets. This is the traditional territory of the Kwikwetsutinu, Hakwakmis Nation, the Mamalilika, and the Numgis Nation. I feel connected to this place. Yeah, this is uh, Mimquimlis. Belongs to the Mamalilikla tribe, and I always think about my connections and roots that, you know, my 
great great grandma Wyatt, her mother came from here from Mama Wilka. And uh, so I, I like I like coming here. I feel connected to this place. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would recognize this on a map of British Columbia as the northern tip of Vancouver Island, the Broughton Archipelago. Yeah, that's the the area, the southern part of the Great Bear Rainforest and Broughton Archipelago. Um, home to, you know, the collective tribes they call the Kwakwakyok now. If you look at indigenous cultures from around the world, we're no different than this region where there's at least 13,000 years of history on the coast. You know, I'm thinking back in my own mind, well, that's older than a lot of uh, cultures. The Broughton Archipelago lies in the heart of the Kwakwakwak territory. Called one of the nation's most dynamic ecosystems by Canadian Geographic, sea cliffs cut with coastal fjords rise above the Pacific Ocean. This region is composed of rushing rivers, primeval forests, and productive salmon-bearing watersheds. Welcome to the land of the grizzly bear. So many feelings at once to see a grizzly bear. That's almost peaceful, actually. You're witnessing, you know, something that's so sacred to our people uh, in its own environment. We are surrounded by ancient beings and graced by survivors, one of which is Molly. Earlier this year, a month into BC's declared state of emergency at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, a young Molly was navigating his first year outside of his mother's den. Molly is a juvenile or sub-adult male grizzly bear, about three years old. Around Molly's age, mother grizzly bears emancipate their cubs. After teaching their cubs all they know about the world, mother grizzly bears chase off their cubs and drive them away. Though this separation process is likely a tough and confusing process for young bears, it is time to begin a new cycle of life. In the spring of 2020, Molly left his birthplace and embarked on a long journey, traveling and swimming from BC's central coast near Night Inlet to a small island just off northern Vancouver Island. He landed on Hanson Island. There's something going on and uh, there's movement. The bears are coming out to the islands um, and, and us as First Nations attribute that to the food source and one of their, or the main food source is salmon. And our populations of salmon have been on a decline. Um, this last couple of years has been really bad. And uh, so to us that correlates with the bear behavior and them moving out and looking for other sources of food, perhaps other rivers, right? Um, so in our culture, you know, grizzlies, they don't, hang out on islands out here. We don't have stories that link them here. They're, it's all in the fjords, right, in the rivers. And yep. So um, it's, it's not a normal thing for us. Molly has not changed, but his world has. Here, the land and the sea are one. Whales and orcas thread through a spray of inlets, underwater shadows chasing wild salmon in emerald-colored waters of herring and ooligan spawning grounds. Likely exhausted from his long journey, it's time for Molly to fill his hungry belly in his new home. He feasts on mussels, clams, and wild salmon. 
Molly is a young, curious bear. Away from his mom, he tests his own limits, learning what he likes and what he doesn't like. In the words of CTV journalist Scott Cunningham, of all the places the bear visited, there was only one which almost certainly ensured his death. It was also the one place he kept returning to. Away from its home territory on mainland BC, this grizzly named Mally swam from mainland BC and ended up on Hanson Island off northern Vancouver Island. Watch out, get going. In search of food, on, Mally, like many bears, started eating improperly kept trash. When a grizzly bear starts eating trash, its fate is usually sealed. BC conservation officers are often forced to destroy the animal to keep humans safe. You know, Molly was on Hanson Island and got into someone's garbage there, unfortunately. And we were in another situation where it was almost like a standoff between us and the conservation officers. Because they, uh, at first, they they wanted to do do the relocation, but when they got there, they whatever uh, changed their mind, and it went from that to kill to a kill plan. You know, we had the head CO on the line, and uh, he was really trying to talk us into killing this bear, just this one, because it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chief Sumner just said absolutely not. And then so I did. I brought up reconciliation. Like this, this isn't the way to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have the right to make decisions within our own traditional territories too. And uh, we felt that this bear deserved a second chance, right? And let's relocate it. You guys, you guys got the mm-hmm. the gear to do it, and you have it with you right now. And I'm texting with you. Yeah. And we yeah. had this group text with the guardians. Yeah. And the chief, Sumner. Yeah. And then I'm also texting with Minister Heyman and his staff <laughs> and trying yeah. to get the, the word from Victoria, from the villages, from you were in, Vic, you were in Victoria as well. Was, At that yeah. time, I was in Vancouver and we're all working to save Molly. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It, it was a huge network of texting going on and we were getting the play by play from the guardians and. And this is in the middle of COVID. Yeah. Everyone's locked down. We're yeah. all just at home and yeah. we're worried about social distancing. The COs <laughs> have got the protective gear on and yeah. trying to save Molly. And it was something, uh, I mean, we, you know, we, we got the, the head CO to a point where, okay, let, how about this? How about I do a reassessment? And Chief Sumner and Isa said, yeah, that, we would love that. Why don't you go and reassess? And then we get this text from uh, from from the guardians. Whatever you guys did, it worked. They're going back to the relocation plan. So that that was good. And uh, you know, we we chose a spot within the Mamalukla territory to to bring Molly and and drop him off there. And but we fell short, unfortunately, too, because we we should have had a collar on Molly and been able to monitor him. And you know, from there we could have started our program right and research and and collect data Um, I think that that's where it comes into lead you know like most people think you know the CEOs are either going to kill the bear or they're going to work and we learned from that when they did switch to working to save Molly they were they did it with great care yeah yeah but they also weren't prepared they didn't have the collar ready and um, 
And so that's again where the nations need to, you know, yeah. they want to lead here. It takes it takes a while for them to, uh, because they're to me they're short staffed, right? There's not they don't have that human capacity to protect and conserve the the whole area, right? And uh, yeah. they have only had one collar, and that collar was where like they couldn't get it up in time, yeah, right? And um, uh, there was a time where there was. Well, we a, saw. How many bears do we see today? Yeah, we saw. Is it nine? Eight yeah. or nine? And one day. Yeah. And uh, there's one caller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, so Molly was. Well, the thing I really appreciated this bear is as we're talking, you know, someone had photographed Molly and mm. sent us pictures. And he was a handsome, yeah. you know, male bear. And, you know, he was in trouble. Like, he was into. Um, garbage right yeah. so he was getting into a conflict because someone hadn't properly disposed of it um, and he may have been food conditioned but we didn't know he didn't have a tag he hadn't been captured before no one had really yeah so you know i often try to make that distinction between conditioned and habituated you know habituated is when you see a bear and you tell the story of gatu and talking to him and he knew you that's fine to be habituated in that way yeah but food condition is what we're really worried yeah. about but even Molly, he was, you know, people were saying stories and the, the guardians, Harry and Jake, were telling us, oh, Molly's now on the beach eating mussels. So even when we talk about bears being food conditioned, they still prefer yeah. the wild foods. Yeah, yeah. Bear witness. That's, that's true. That's why they deserve a second chance. They, do, they deserve a second chance. Molly was labeled a nuisance, a problem bear. But he unknowingly had allies fighting for his life. In honor of a grizzly bear named Gatu, that was killed in Mike's home village last November, Mike is advocating for non-lethal ways to manage human grizzly bear encounters. Along with the Grizzly Bear Foundation and two powerful First Nations leaders, Richard Sumner, Chief Counselor of the Mamlilika Nation, and Chief Rick Johnson of the Kwiksutinu Hakwakmis Nation, the team galvanized a plan to save Molly. But as CTV's Scott Cunningham shows us, what happened next is being called a breakthrough. Bundled in a net, a tranquilized grizzly bear is shuttled back to its mainland home. An unlikely ending for a story BC First Nation leaders say is culturally significant. How it started for me was when uh, got to a bear that we viewed, who was actually relocated by the conservation officers put Katu in our territory called uh, Hada, Bon Sound, and I watched Katu right after he was relocated, diving right into the salmon and eating the salmon. He was, he, and uh, he has a sister, Atli, and they were they were doing fine. They, they were thriving and yep. they did well. They adapted well to Kilabidu, who was another older sub-adult in there, and uh, Numas was uh, the old man, we call him, a really old big male bear in there and the, the young ones they got they adapted really well how long was Gatu in there after he oh, got relocated three years oh, so yeah so successful we were, relocation yeah it was uh they didn't need to move right and uh a huge part of it was there there was salmon in the river when he got there and uh but he he roamed over to the community of Kinkum and I knew what was going to happen if, if, if the bears are in that situation for too long, um, getting them 
people's garbages, unfortunately, you know, breaking open the garbage boxes they have there, uh, you know, going on porches. So people were getting really nervous, and that's understanding. So I'd called the COs to try to, uh, hey, you know, can you go in and relocate Katu again because and get him out of that, you know, dangerous situation because we we know the inevitable will happen is that he'll have to be put down and uh, that's what happened uh, he was put down and uh, the conservation officers didn't come and they didn't go in no, no. they didn't they didn't go in and uh, so that was really unfortunate and, and that's when I wanted change you know I, I, I you lost a business partner in a way yeah exactly like not only a you know a friend because you got to watch him yeah. he'd come right over too you know and say hi like 10 feet away and just stand there and look at us. So we had a really personal relationship and uh, and so I felt like I lost a friend. And so on his behalf, I started to advocate and started to voice my opinion around that. And uh, that's when I contacted you, Nick. And True, that's why they deserve a second chance. They, do, they deserve a second chance. And if you put them in a place where there's a lot of food and uh, you know, maybe a little bit of help from us too, right? And and mm-hmm. uh, I, a bear biologist that I talked to said you could have given him a hard release after you drop him off, right? And just kind of retrain them and get them to think that they can't just come around, yeah, right? And there's the we have boundaries, so I'm in, I'm interested in that kind of uh, a new approach. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have all the answers, but we're going to look for the answers, right? And together, I think, with the Grizzly Bear Foundation and our nations, I really think that we can do something really positive uh, mm-hmm. and have our program funded and um, and, and and be really credible. And, you know? and it was interesting at this time, you know, we got the word out and, you know, I've worked in conservation for over 20 years and this is the first time I ever worked on a story that went international news. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah. During COVID lockdown, yeah. The Guardian picked it up and it was, you know, trending as their number one story for a while and people were interested in the story of this grizzly bear and his second chance. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're just like us. It'd be like giving our family member a second chance, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> that's the way we look at the bears, right? It's a different paradigm. That's why people don't understand because they, we think in a different paradigm today, right? But our our indigenous ways is it's its own paradigm, right? And it's reflected in our language. You know, it's different. It's out of respect. And like I said, you just have to look at our totem poles, and you'll see who's important to us. Mm-hmm. During one of the most impactful global events in recent history. A physically distanced world saw a joint effort by First Nations, the Grizzly Bear Foundation, and the provincial government to save Mali. Here giant beings root themselves deep into the earth. Mighty firs, Sitka spruce, and cedar trees are nourished by the backs of wild salmon, delivered beyond the river's edge by bears and brought to the sky by eagles. Grizzly bears often eat the fattiest parts of salmon, the head, the skin, the roe, leaving the rest behind to nourish other wildlife and the forest floor. So when Molly was relocated, how close from here? Uh, Hoya Sound is probably 30 nautical miles from Hansen. Mm-hmm. 
So maybe 20 from here? Yeah. And so he was dropped off in a beautiful estuary and then yeah. the guardians told us his, he woke up groggy and but he right away started eating grass and yeah. being a bear. Yeah. And um, yeah, they, uh, this, this type of um, harvesting is learned. Like uh, they don't do that in um, Smith Inlet. They don't turn over the rocks there. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah, and then some of them are even sealing you now that they're going after seals. On the island just up close to Glendale. They swim over and you can see them just hiding, getting ready to pounce on the seal. <laughs> are really starting to break up here and you can see the yeah. mountain coming in to focus. Yeah, rainforest characteristics. It's interesting at this tide level because you can see where they're flipping rocks. And then you can see the next level of the mussels. Yeah. And then the rockweed. Yeah. And then the grass. That's right. So they'll... Uh, switch to like the mussels they go on the um, the logging infrastructure over there and they'll hang out there all day until the tide pushes them out right but they just eat the mussels off the metal structure but this is a safe place for grizzlies like this like they come here to be safe Ten days after Molly was relocated, I received a personal phone call from Environment Minister George Heyman. The tone was somber. Molly had been shot to death, just 30 kilometers from where he was released. Molly, we will continue to fight for you. In solidarity, please join me in listening to Mike as he sings a bear song belonging to his brother, Chief William Wasden. Bear Witness. behavior, he had gone on an adventure and swam to another island. On arrival, he came upon a resident and a barking dog. But then, um, about a week later, I got a call from Minister Heyman, and it was really nice that he called personally, but to tell us the sad news that Molly had been shot. Yeah. And I remember calling you, and I just was... I don't know, it's, it took the air out of my lungs. Yeah. Yeah, it was really upsetting. Because I, I, I had a, a feeling of failure, right? Like I feel felt like we failed him. Um, but I also wanted to, to learn from that, right? And take that as a lesson moving forward. And now we know what we need, right? Yeah. <laughs> to do right from the beginning when we drop off a bear. It's like... Yeah, we need callers. It's one of the hard things working in conservation. You know, we get to spend this time and see these wonderful animals, and you know, work to protect these beautiful places. But 
there's also sad stories yeah. that you hold with you. And, you know, years ago I worked on a project and, you know, we work, everyone worked so hard to protect this beaver family um, because they were adding biodiversity and creating habitat. And then someone didn't like the beaver and went along and killed the beaver. Mm-hmm. And everyone had worked so hard and it was so upsetting for part of the community. And yeah. I feel like that's what happened with Molly. You yeah. know? We, I think we learned a lot, but those failures, like you said, they stick with you. Yeah, definitely. The life and death of the beloved bear Molly. Molly's tragic story is echoed in the similar stories of brothers and sisters. Bear 71 and Bear 148. Bear 71's story was told in the 2012 film by Leanne Allison and Jeremy Mendez. It's hard to say where the wired world ends and the wild one begins, says the actor who voiced the bear. They can start a revolution on a smartphone, but they can't remember to close the lid on a bear-proof garbage bin. Bear 148's story was covered in a podcast by the Narwhal, an iconic female bear that was translocated and then shot by a hunter in British Columbia. The passing of Bear 71, Bear 148, Gatu, Molly, and so many more are symbols of human bear encounters gone wrong. Unnecessary deaths that could have been prevented with more education and awareness. Over the past eight years, nearly 200 grizzly bears have been killed in conflict. 13 of those grizzlies were killed illegally in the last two years. And before the BCNDP government ended grizzly bear trophy hunting, an average of 300 grizzly bears were killed each year. Bear witness. Mike Willie shared with me a personal story from his youth that served as a catalyst for how he now interacts with grizzlies, sharing his world with these majestic animals. So there's this great big uh, mama grizzly walking in the village of Kinkum. And um, my, like I said, my auntie's on the phone and she's, oh my God, it's a great big grizzly. And so I opened the door and holy cow, it was a huge grizzly. It had silver on the back. So I, I, I put it down. That was, that's what changed me. It, uh, I, right at that moment? Yeah, I went inside and just sang all the grizzly bear songs that I knew and just said, I'd never, I'm never going to do that again. Get caught up in this hype of this fear. being fear, you know, like I, I want to change that. And, you know, that changed my life. And, and now I'm devoted my, my time to saving them and, and, you know, just getting to know them. There, there's, there absolutely is no reason to fear them, right? And, uh, and we have the tools, like you, when you're in the trails, you just say, yo, you know, that's, that was the way that we were taught. You to let them know that you're there and that's, that's what's going to save you. You're always advocating for, you know, protecting grizzlies. Like we're trying to change the mindsets even within our own communities too. Mike refers to grizzly bears today as members of his family, reframing his relationship with grizzlies many years ago. In 2015, Mike started Sea Wolf Adventures, an indigenous-run tourism business, dedicating his life to educating others and advocating for grizzly bears. 
Let me see wolf adventures. And what got you into the grizzly bear viewing? Well, we, when we first started, we were actually just kayak shuttling. It was a water taxi business slash cultural. But we realized right away that, you know, we should actually get into real wildlife viewing, you know, and bear viewing. And I knew someone was in Thompson bear viewing. And that's my traditional territory, right? And that's where my chieftainship comes from, too. Right, you're a hereditary chief. Yeah, hereditary, one of the hereditary chiefs. Seats or standings within my family, one of them is on me. And the other one is on my Uncle Don, and there's one more that we need to put on someone yet. But, uh, yeah, so that's how we got, I got into bear viewing. And, the business just grew. The idea grew. It, it was going to be a service between Port McNeil and Kinkum, water taxi, and then it just kind of grew. The idea grew, and eventually I got into tourism, started going down that route, and got hooked up with uh, Indigenous Tourism BC, and they pointed me in a few directions, and got some funding to get a this, to get a boat, and we, we ordered a Staby craft, which was a it's a nice uh, New Zealand designed boat and we took six passengers and uh, our first year we had 26 passengers and the year after we had 296 passengers and then the year after was 510 yeah. and then <laughs> so we yeah it was really like uh, the word was getting out like what we were doing and and that's like a wildlife viewing and culture. Yeah, together. so so they really liked that. And this is when we were going to Thompson too. So the bear viewing is spectacular. Like you think this is nice when we're on the beach. It, there's something else when they're in the river, mm -hmm. and when you're walking in the bear trails, uh, and you run into them, and you know it feels like you have more of a personal experience with them. And so guests loved that. And uh, we'd stop off at one of our ancient village sites in the birdwood group but there's just like nothing but white beach because of thousands of years of you know harvesting clams and and and, and living there and so since then how many years have you spent taking people out to learn and get to know the yeah the so we started in 2015 when we started the bears so five years now it's we're, we're quite young yet in the industry yeah. And it was quite something too, like we were so shy, just me and Sherry, my niece is really shy. Mm -hmm. We were so scared to even ask the other operators where the whales were, we wouldn't get on the radio phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we've come a long way, we've grown and people know Seawolf now, it's, it's, it's really kind of cool. And, uh, and sometimes you have to educate people and it's tough. Yeah. I mean, people are stuck in their old ways right and 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 so you do have to be blunt and say you know what when you see us on the water you need to know that we're from here you know we're different mm -hmm. we come from this area you know our lands and waters and the stories that go with them like we employ our people for our communities mm -hmm. you know so it's uh i like to say you know it's you're working in the conservation economy yeah if we want to save these places and these animals then we need to, you know, take people, do it respectfully. 
Um, so Educate too, them, yeah. yeah. Not too much impact on the bears, and that's yeah. the opportunity. So that even when they leave this place and they go back to New York or wherever they're from, then they'll feel a connection to nature, right? Yeah. That they're like, oh, well, this was a wilderness experience for me. But even when I'm in the city, I can feel that because yeah. I now I've touched that, right? And sometimes you need to get back. I feel I need to get back to the wild to get that reconnection. Yeah. Everybody needs to, right? That there's that pull to nature. Something about the greenery and the oxygen, you know, and, you, and the energy that you feel when you're in the forest. You want to go look at these two? This mama and cub? Sure. Yeah. There's, uh, oh, there's another one. Yeah, that's a big one. Five grizzlies today. So that so this is six, isn't it? Six. Oh yeah. right, yeah. yeah. Six grizzlies today. This yeah. inlet doesn't disappoint. Yeah, sometimes we like thirteen or fifteen in one day. That that's a good day, right? Mm -hmm. But it's I don't like to promote that part of it, like uh, because sometimes we just see. Sometimes we only see one, right? And then mm -hmm. that's all we have to work with that for that day. Yeah. Well, and it takes a lot of pressure. Uh, oh, is that a mum and cub? Oh, look at that, cub of the year. Yeah. And so the cycle of life begins again. Before Molly died, he was on a journey to find his home range. More bears will follow in his footsteps and learn to survive on their own. In the first year of a bear's life, they are known as cubs of the year. In the second and third year of their life, just like Molly, cubs of the year will embark on a journey from their birthplace to where they reproduce. This is called natal dispersal. According to research completed by the BC government, understanding the dispersal behavior of grizzly bears is essential for developing conservation strategies and well-managed forest land. Their results suggest that grizzly bear habitat must be wide enough for male grizzly bears to live in with little risk of being killed. Yeah, well, we've been doing this really interesting work together to bring nations from across BC and the Yukon together to talk about indigenous management of wildlife. Wildlife management doesn't start from a place of hunting, no. it starts somewhere else. Yeah, coexisting, you know, starts from the relationships that we've had with them and the respect that we've had for them for, for, for centuries, right? For, for thousands of years and uh, and so that was part of the change that I wanted to, to make was to get, you know, the COs and, and the Ministry of Environment to, to acknowledge and take into account our traditional values and principles, right, that help us base decisions within our territories. and. Uh, so that's, that's the route that we're going and through the work with the Grizzly Bear Foundation and the Indigenous Roundtable gave us that platform to, uh, to meet with Minister Heyman. That was a, a really good meeting. And yeah, we're lucky really to have a, a government right now that ended the trophy hunting and killing of grizzly bears and yeah. is open really to us talking about more 
indigenous man- management of wildlife and they're trying but really you know yourself and chief sumner and and others are leading For decades, First Nations in the Routon Archipelago have fought for the protection of coastal ecosystems and wild Pacific salmon, a major food source for feeding grizzly bears. This is the sound of one of many fish farm occupations in the Broughton Archipelago, recorded by Emily Gilpin for the National Observer. We now understand that these fish farms represent a threat to every river system on the coast. As we witness extinctions and catastrophic declines in wild salmon stocks, Nations are fighting for the transition of BC's marine open net fish farms to closed land-based containment systems. They move their tactics from the land to the ocean. Time immemorial, we lived off the ocean. We have our children and our future children to think about. We have been overwhelmed now by this idea the economic idea that the economy is everything. In 2018, a landmark decision was made that brought together the Kwikwatsutinu Hawimas, Namgis, and Mamalile Kala nations, and three provincial ministers to share decision-making power about the future of fish farm tenures and salmon aquaculture in British Columbia's Broughton Archipelago. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that, like what the three nations were that came together and how this is unique. Uh, Namgis, Mamalile Kala, and uh, Kwikwatsutinu. Well, it's, uh, I knew that we could work together because we've already demonstrated working together within uh, the salmon farming uh, issue. The efforts for the, from these three nations are going to benefit the grizzlies when the salmon come back. And so that's, that's a part of this, uh, you know, this grizzly bear movement is connected to that, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. I want people to know that, that the efforts that our nations put forward is going to benefit uh, grizzly bears and orcas and and our people. And it'll also benefit the tourism industry on the North Island and the Brown Archipelago. I think that's, you know, the thing of the story of Molly, that even though it ended badly for Molly and so sad for us but what we learned and what we're going to work toward changing will be in his name and in you know and it helped build a relationship between you and me yeah and these three nations to work together on grizzly bear management yeah yeah the MOU you know bringing the nations together and the grizzly bear foundation is going to be really exciting Today, these three nations continue to work together to further conversations with the provincial government, hopefully ensuring grizzly bear encounters like Molly's have a positive outcome for wildlife and the bear viewing industry. In recent years, the Grizzly Bear Foundation has supported these efforts, hosting an indigenous roundtable on grizzly bear conservation and bear viewing ecotourism, bringing together First Nations and indigenous ecotourism companies from across BC and the Yukon to discuss how we can move forward together. So Mali is going to be the blueprint, uh, I would say a blueprint to the processes moving forward collaboratively with the government. Coexisting, you know, starts from the relationships that we've had with them and the respect that we've had for them for 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 centuries, right? For, for thousands of years and uh, 
And so that was part of the change that I wanted to, to make, was to get, you know, the COs and, and the ministry environment to, to acknowledge and take into account our traditional values and principles, right, that help us base decisions within our territories. And uh, so that's, that's the route that we're going. Definitely takes commitment and time and effort and, and the conviction, I guess, to, to make change and to say, hey, you know, this is, this is our territory. You know, we have a right to manage the wildlife within our territories. And um, so Chief Sumner spoke really well on that and um, I really respect him for that. You know, we do have a right to govern within our own territories, and uh, that's that's where we're coming from. You know, it's it's coming from respect, right? That that that's the foundation of of this whole movement is the respect between us and the grizzlies. Molly's story charts a positive way forward. BC's environment minister George Heyman praised the efforts of all involved, calling it a demonstration of the power of partnership and the desire for reconciliation. At least 14,000 years of history of having these relationships with the grizzlies and, and, and wildlife in general. It's not hard to see where our culture is based. What our culture is based on, you just have to look at our totem poles and all of the art. It's all wildlife. Yeah. <laughs> A new journey begins as the groundwork is laid for a new, indigenous-led approach to grizzly bear management in this province. I like healing, you know, uh, healing the troubles of the past and, and uh, also revitalizing language. It's another journey that I love. It's really nice to spend time with you, Mike. <laughs> We've only talked over the phone. We've seen each other at meetings yeah. and stuff, but to be out here in your traditional territory and Thanks yeah, for doing this. Nice having you guys. Mm -hmm. Really. Yep. Appreciate it. Yeah, me too. Thanks for being part of GrizzCast. All right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Episode 3. You can find our donation page, behind-the-scenes photos, and Grizzly Bear resources on our website at grizzcast.grizzlybearfoundation.com. From the Grizzly Bear Foundation, this is GrizzCast. Share and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Grizzcast is hosted by the Grizzly Bear Foundation, a charitable organization solely dedicated to the welfare of the grizzly bear. I'm Nicholas Scapolati, the executive producer and your host. This episode was written and edited by our producer, Lindsay Marie Stewart. Our story producer is Leah Hutchings. Interviews were recorded on location in the Broughton Archipelago by Cass Shield. Allo composed our theme music, Traditional grizzly bear song and drumming by Mike Willie. Solo acoustic music by John Denbor. Intro music is What Remains by Abilene. 100% clearance through Musicbed. Grizzcast's original album art is by Marie Wyatt, with graphic design by Lindsay Marie Stewart. Grizzcast is brought to you in part by the Commercial Bear Viewing Association. If you are planning a bear viewing expedition in British Columbia, book with a CBVA operator. The CBVA ensures the best experience for you and the bears. To book, visit www.bearviewing.ca.